Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. How are you guys doing? Good. It's good to worship together, isn't it? Yeah, on this cold, crisp uh, morning, it's good to gather and, and um, yeah, sing about our King. A um, couple of summers ago, um, my wife and I and the kids, we went down to Disneyland, and uh, we did four days in Disneyland, like in a row, four days. And not only that, we did four days in a row in Disneyland with uh, Danny and Jenny Bennett and their kids. So the only thing I can, I, the only thing I can just, uh, compare it to is if you took a blender and you put in a gallon of maple syrup and espresso shots and some glitter and then blended it up and drank it and then ran for 20 miles, that would be kind of like our experience in Disneyland, which is to say it was awesome. It was really fun. But the fifth day we were exhausted and we jumped in the car to drive home and we decided to go the, the coastal route because it's more scenic. And it was such a long drive home. And there's just a, there came a point where I think like seven hours in where we were just done, you know? Like our family is, I mean, we're a bunch of introverts. And so we were just done, done, done. You know what I mean? We just wanted to go home and please like close the doors and like not talk to anyone for three days. And we, but there was like the final stretch. You know when you travel with kids and there's that, fi- like you're an hour and a half from home, but they all have to go to the bathroom, you know? And so we just, we stopped at this gas station. I couldn't even tell you where it is now. Like, I don't, it's just, it was an hour and a half from here, wherever that is. And we stopped at this gas station. And it was in the evening, but it was only like 6 o'clock or so. And we stopped, and we pulled up the gas station, and we filled up with gas. And by the way, this gasoline was $6 a gallon, which this is, like right now, yeah, like that's pretty good. You know, a couple years ago, that was like, what? We're being robbed, but there's nowhere else to go, you know? Six dollars again, and and then I we Danny and I we take the kids and we walk up to the front door and I was like, oh the door's locked. This is weird. And I see the guy in there and we're like knocking and knocking and he wouldn't let us in. He just he decided like he was just done for the night himself and just closed. And we're like, God, we're talking to him through the glass. It got pretty heated. I'm just gonna be honest with you. Like, um, it's really good that we you don't wear your pastor's license like on a tag out here because. <laughs> It just got, like, kind of ugly. And, but we have kids, and they had to go to the bathroom, and we just bought his $6 gasoline, you know? And so it was funny the, very, the different ways that Danny and I reacted. Like, he was aggressive-aggressive. I went passive-aggressive, and I took my two boys around behind the gas station, and just I was like, anywhere you want, boys, just let it go right here. Like, I don't care, wherever you want. And I saw a camera, and I was just like, you did this, you know? Like, this, you know? So, like, inappropriate, really wrong behavior. But so and I was thinking about that story as I was thinking about today and what we're going to be talking about and this question, have you ever been wronged by someone and wanted revenge? Have you wanted, to, have you wanted vengeance? Have you ever felt that sensation? I would be surprised if there was anyone here that didn't feel that way at some point in their life where you've experienced some wrong some travesty of justice, like buying $6 gasoline and not being able to use the bathroom, you know, um, and wanting to exact some kind of revenge. Um, this is very normal for us. I mean, you see it in, as human beings, you see it in our culture, in our 
in our movies and entertainment, in our stories, in the way that we talk about things. We actually glorify these feelings. But we follow this person named Jesus, and he calls us to different kinds of living and different kinds of standards. I was reading this passage in Timothy where, where Paul is writing to his, uh, his friend Timothy, and he writes this. He says, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Sometimes, I, I don't know if this is true for you, but sometimes I think I've conflated longing for his appearing with longing for him to do unto others what I would like to have done to them. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? But that's not what we long for. As our hearts become changed by Jesus, we just begin to long for him. That's, that's, that's kind of the goal, following Jesus, um, is, is beginning to long for him and long for his, his values and long for the things that he cares about and to begin to set aside the things that we desired before we met him. Um, I love that last song we were singing together, What Would I Have Become? When I think about this dark reality of who I would be without Jesus and who I am because of him. So we're in this series right now called Last Days, um, and we've gone in and out of it kind of all year long, and we've been exploring the book of Revelation, and, um, and, and here's the backdrop is, you know, the early apostles, the first century uh, believers, they had this term, last days, that they used to describe the time period beginning with the death and resurrection of Jesus and ending with the return of Jesus. So you've probably heard that term sometime in your life, these are the last days, and people, they look out at the news here in 2022, they look out at the world and go, oh, these are the last days. Well, it's been the last days for 2,000 years. It's been that way. Um, and I agree with the Apostle Peter. His, his word is good enough for me. Here's what he says. He asked this question. You know, he said, if these are the last days, he says, if, if everything will be destroyed in the end, in other words, if nothing, if all of this doesn't last forever, he says, then what kind of people ought you to be? That's the question. You know, I, I think growing up, reading books like Revelation or hearing people talk about it, I thought the idea was we, we assemble the clues, you know, we get everything figured out, and we get to know when things are going to happen or when Jesus is going to come back. That would be great. I would love to know. If you know, meet me after and tell me. I would love to know when Jesus is coming back. The reality is he didn't tell us, and he told us that he didn't tell us. No man will know the day or the hour. He told us that. And instead, our focus needs to be on how then we should live in these times. And Peter tells us, he says, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. All right, so what we've done is we've been journeying through Revelation, and we're actually in chapter 18 today. Um, and as we've been reading this, let's be honest, it's an unusual book. It's a strange book. It's not a straightforward book of literature. It's, it's odd. It's an apocalypse. It's, it's strange language. But as we've been journeying through it, what we've seen that the message of this book um, is, is that it's, it's bringing comfort to his followers in troubled times. And we live in some troubled times. Maybe not as troubled as other times, but these times have some troubles, right? Are there troubles in this time? Yeah, and so this book should bring us comfort. And I, I, I think this is true, that the, the book of Revelation was writ, written to bring comfort to God's people where they've been oppressed. But I also think that this is true, 
that it was written to cause discomfort where God's people have benefited from the oppression of others. That's just as important as that it's meant to cause us some discomfort. And so, just to be honest with you, this passage that we're going to read today, 18, so here's what happens. 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, we're almost done with Revelation. In 18, is, it's the fall of Babylon. It's a very uncomfortable passage, and that's the one that I get to bring to you today. Next week in 19, Jesus returns, and it's awesome. It's amazing. You should definitely be here for that. It's amazing. But there's some discomfort before you get there. And that, that's where we are today. So I'm just kind of giving you a fair warning. And, and it leads to this question. I, I was pondering this this week. How can we maintain our values and the message of Jesus when everything around us is pointing the opposite way? Um, it's not the most comfortable question, but it's, it's meant for us to ponder. Here's, here's how 18 works, chapter 18. It's, it's one of the stranger ones in an already strange book. Okay? What John does is he's about to tell us about a city. And the city, the name of the city is Babylon. Okay? He's going to talk about the city. We're going to read about this. But it's not just a city. There was a city of Babylon a long time ago. But he's not just talking about a city. Um, it's a symbol for the ways that humans have rebelled against the ways of God um, and the ways that we've hurt each other and hurt ourselves in the process. I think the, the promise of this chapter is that Jesus is coming back. He's coming, and he has a plan to rid the world of Babylon before he does. But there's some surprising elements to it, and as you read it, I've read this chapter now like, like about 20 times getting ready for today, and each time I read it more and more, I see myself more and more in that um, chapter. And I think what may surprise us is that there's a little bit of Babylon in us. All right, let's take a look. So this is chapter 18, verse 1. Okay, it says this. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. So remember, John's, he's having a series of visions. He's seeing these things, these visions in his mind, and this is one of them. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit a haunt for every unclean bird, and a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries, and the kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Whew. <laughs> it's only going to get worse from here, let me just tell you. It's, uh, so John's doing a couple things. He's using poetry, to, uh, and he's using prophetic language. He's, he's talking about a city, but it's not really a city. And he refers to this city as her. This is likely kind of a juxtaposition against the wisdom books of the Old Testament. You know, when you read, like Proverbs, for example, and Solomon refers to wisdom as a woman, right? This is, this is like the opposite of that. He's using that, that language to show that there's an, there's an opposite side. And John's making this case here that the culture of uh, greed and of violence and imperialism that humans have been feeding for centuries, it can be identified with a name, and he calls it. He says, this is Babylon, this culture, this thing that humans have built. I, I think the more I ponder this, the more I think about the way Babylon is kind of our, it's like our counterfeit version of the garden. 
You know, God, at the beginning, God provided a garden, a place where God could meet human beings in one space. And we rejected that arrangement. And then we went out, and, and over the centuries and the millennia, we've continually built counterfeits to that garden. In fact, right there in Genesis chapter 11, just, just, a, few, just a few decades after we rejected the garden, look at, look at what it says. It says, then they came together, and they said, let us build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. What does that sound like? It sounds like people building a counterfeit garden, right? So that we may make a name for ourselves, so that we can put ourselves at the center. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So whether it's, uh, that's the Tower of Babel, by the way. That's where the whole thing began. Whether it's Babel or Pharaoh's Egypt or Berlin in the 1930s, right? Humans have been doing this over and over. We, we build these systems of control and power um, to replace the one that, the, this God-shaped hole in our lives. We, we try to exert power and control in order to recapture something that God offered us free at the beginning. All right, let's continue. So it says, Then I heard another voice from heaven say this, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to the heavens. And God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Pour her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit enthroned as a queen. I am not a widow. I will never mourn. Remember, this is not a person. This is a, this is a culture. This is things that humans have built, right? Therefore, in one day her plagues will overtake her. Death and mourning and famine. She will be consumed by fire. For mighty is the Lord God who judges her. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of the burning... They will weep and mourn over her, terrified at her torment. They will stand far off and cry. That's really heavy, right? That's really gnarly. What, what John is doing here is he's building this escalating sense of, of, of doom over the, the, the end of things that we've built in place of the garden, right? And now what he's going to do is you're going to hear a series of, of woes. Have you heard this word Woe, it's not woe like, woe, look out. It's woe, like W-O-E. It means to feel sorrow over something. And so there's a call going out to any reader of this book. And that's us right now. There's a call going out. John's expressing a desire for us to make a space where we experience sorrow. So that's what we're going to do for just a minute. Okay. On the other side of sorrow is hope and is joy. So we have something to look forward to. But right here in the middle of it, we're meant to feel sorrow. That's what he's trying to get us to do. And each one of these feels, you'll notice, it feels a little more personal than the next one. This is a strange exercise for us, I think, as, as Americans and, you know, as rugged individualists. We, you know, to feel sorrow over, and repentance over the crimes of humanity, this is strange. This is not, this is not a regular thing for us, right? We're the opposite of this. You know, everything, if, if you're like me and you were raised in this culture, everything inside you wants to cry out, oh, that wasn't me. I didn't do that. Because we believe in principles like individualism and like 
being innocent until proven guilty. And I'm not saying those are wrong, but they're not helpful for this moment. Does that make sense? Everything in us wants to say, that wasn't me. I'm not responsible. I've never enslaved anyone. That's true. I never have. I've never taken anyone's land. I've never been responsible for someone being murdered and their family driven out into the desert. I've never done those things. Remember when God confronted Adam in the garden, he said, I didn't pick the fruit. The woman gave it to me. We've been saying these things since the beginning. He confronted Cain, and Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? Is it my fault that he made decisions that led to this moment with his blood on my hands? It wasn't me. That is an expression that comes so naturally to us, but is not helpful when God calls us into a posture of repentance and sorrow. Yet this is what God is asking. He's, he's saying, I want you to have a moment here where you reflect on the collective identity that, that, that we have as members of the same human race that have murdered and enslaved and subjugated people throughout the millennia. We, we're part of that same being, that same, uh, that same human race, right? And it feels sorrow. You know, recently, um, I, I mentioned this last week, uh, Colin and his wife Jenny and Amy and I, we went to Israel together. And part of that trip was we, uh, we went to the Holocaust Memorial uh, called Yad Vashem. And it's a very sobering experience, as you would imagine. It's pretty much whatever you imagine, it's that and more. And at the end of it, there was a, there's a, you finish with it, and then you, they kind of funnel you through this room. They call it the Children's Memorial. And you go into this room, and it's dark. It's dark. And there's, there's just kind of um, pictures of children's faces uh, that have been preserved and then there's a, a voice, a pre-recorded voice, reading the names of millions of children that died in the Holocaust, one after another. It, it reads their, their name and their age and the possible date when they perished. And we stood in that room for a little while. And you know what didn't happen? You know what that room does not inspire? It doesn't inspire um, this feeling right here. Oh, those wicked Nazis, they're so terrible. You know, those people that did this, it doesn't inspire that. I mean, that's true. They did do that. People did this thing. But what it does inspire is sorrow, right, is, is a sense of this happened, and I'm a part of the same species of being that committed these crimes, right? So that's, that's kind of what this passage, passage is trying to accomplish in us. All right, let's keep going. It says, woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, pearl, uh, purple, silk and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood and articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood and bronze and iron and marble. Cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat and cattle and sheep and horses and carriages and, and listen to this, and human beings sold as slaves. You notice how John did that. He just kind of subversively introduced, here's all these products and then also people, right? They will say the fruit you long for is gone from you and all your luxury and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. And listen, tune your ear to this part right here. This is significant. It says the merchants who sold these things 
and gained their wealth from her, right, will stand far off, terrified at this moment, and will weep and mourn and cry out. Wait a second. I thought this was about other people doing things, right, doing wrong. God is coming back to redeem the earth. We know that. And part of that process is bringing judgment on people that have done terrible things. But right here, John includes people that have benefited from those terrible things having been done. Right? All of a sudden, this is getting really personal, right? Which side of the line am I on? Then it goes on to say, Woe, woe to you, great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, glittering with gold and precious stones and pearls. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain and all who travel by ship, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, Was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out. See, there's a way in which all of us would miss the things that we have, right? I mean, if you look around at the life that we live and the opulence that we live with, if all of that was taken away, would we miss it? Yeah, we would, right? We would. That's, we've come to grow very comfortable with the comfort that we have, Right? And John's asking us to reflect on what if everything was taken away tomorrow? How would that feel? Woe, woe to you, great city, where all you had, all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour she has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets, for God has judged her with the judgment that she imposed on you. Okay, so the focus begins to turn. Now, now, after the sorrow comes rejoicing at the end of this evil empire, right? The order of events here is kind of important, though. You know, when we went to, when we stood in that room at Yad Vashem, the children's memorial, and we heard those names, and we, we just felt and experienced that moment for a little while, they have it set up so then you leave that room and you walk out and, you, and, and you're, you're forced to then partake of this view of the countryside, trees and hills and mountains and streams and birds and wildlife, and, and there, because there's hope on the other side. There is sorrow, and there's a time for repentance, but on the other side we know there's a hope, right? Because in chapter 19, Jesus returns, right? He's coming, and he's bringing with him justice. But it's right that we experience the sorrow first, it's right for us as a people to experience repentance at the appropriate time. Here's how it finishes up. It says, Then the angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. Remember, not a city, a culture, all the things that we've ever built to try to replace God. He's saying, I'm, I'm coming to heal you from the things that you built. The music of harpists and musicians and pipers and trumpets will never be heard in you again. No worker of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. Who are we meant to be as a people? A city, a lampstand, shining on a hill, right? Pointing the way to Jesus. The voice of a bride, of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's, were the world's important people. And by your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of God's holy people, of all who have slaughtered on the earth. 
Jesus is coming back and he's going to make all things new. This is really good news. But it's also sobering because he's coming back to make things right. And there's places in which we've participated in the wrong things. He's bringing justice and judgment on any power that stands against his kingdom. You know, it's easy to rejoice when Babylon gets it in the end. You know, you, I, I don't know about you, but I, I, like, I've, in, I've enjoyed movies like Die Hard. You know, John McClane and, you, you know, the, the, the villain's always German or Russian. You ever notice that? Like, they're always, you know, it's just, it's just a very American way of looking at things. Like, the, the villain always has to be German, you know. But, you know, the, the villain gets it in the end, and we all cheer, right? We all cheer when the villain gets it. But John's asking us to reflect on a different idea that, that somewhere, that it's not that we're the villain, but that we have villainous thoughts. We have villainous predilections. And Jesus is coming not for, just for uh, those that have done wrong, but, but the wrong inside of us too. He's going to sweep it all away. You know, uh, James, the brother of Jesus, was not a follower of Jesus when he was alive. But he saw the light after Jesus' death and resurrection and he went on to become a, a, just a powerful leader in the early church. And he wrote this letter. We, we know it as the book of James. And this is what he wrote. He said, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, where you find disorder, there you find disorder and every evil practice. It's easy to say, oh, not me. I haven't done those things. I, I'm not responsible for these, these evils in the world. It's easy to say that until James calls it out and says, have you had envy or selfish ambition? Yeah, yeah, I have. I have. You see again and again in the Old Testament how God's people start with envy and selfish ambition, and then suddenly it just spirals into idolatry. You ever read these stories and you're like, how are they all worshiping a golden calf? Like, how did they get there, right? It's crazy, but there was something that led to that moment. It's envy, selfish ambition, a desire to put ourselves first, like all the way back to the Tower of Babylon. Right? Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's make sure that people know that we're important. Have you ever felt that way or had those thoughts? I certainly have. And Jesus wants to come back and rid the world of even those thoughts, those, those desires in us. There's this way. I want to show you this picture. This is a, um, a picture that Amy took while we were in Israel, and we saw this, uh, um, that's the Western Wall, sometimes called the, the Wailing Wall, right? And people come from all over the world to see it, and people pray. There's just this constant sea of people praying at the Western Wall. And, and in one way, it's very beautiful to see people praying to God. In another way, it's, it's um, heartbreaking because you're, you're there and you see this wall, and it's like people are so desperate to communicate with God. And the irony is the thing that is standing between them and God is a wall built by human hands. I mean, the Jewish people didn't even build this wall. Herod built the wall. It's a wall. It's a thing built by humans. And it stands between us and God. What does that sound like? Right? It sounds like what John is talking about. And, and now, we, as modern believers and followers of Jesus, we're living under the the rule, and we've been enslaved by a Babylon that was built by our own hands, our own 
selfish desires and ambitions. And, and the, the point of turning and repenting and following Jesus is to come out and from under that enslavement and to be free of it, right? But it's a process. It doesn't, it doesn't just happen overnight. It, it continues to happen. There's, there's, I, I, I made this little, um, I, was, I was thinking about these things. I made this little formula to try to describe to myself the way I saw Babylon. I wanted to share it with you. Um, and it goes like this, that Babylon equals Rome. It's clear that John was talking about Rome, the, which was the power in his day, right? He says Babylon, and he means Rome. But when he says Rome, he, he means empire. He means an empire. And there's been lots of empires, not just the Roman one. There's been lots of ones. But empires really represent greed. It's the desire of one person to have something, and so they take it away from another person. That's what empire is. It represents greed. And what is greed? It's sin. It's sin. And this sin is present in the hearts of every person. So you can see the clear line between the sinful thoughts that I have, the selfish ambition I have, and Babylon, right? Babylon isn't Jesus coming back to destroy them out there. It's him coming back to bring justice to all of us out there and in here. Thanks, Mike. So here's the reality. Jesus came. When he came, it was to remove the penalty of sin. What he did on the cross removed from us the penalty of sin. We call that in fancy church talk, we call that salvation. We call it being saved. He came to remove the penalty that otherwise we deserve. And he's continually working inside of us to remove the power of sin. Like every day I get up and I pray to myself, God help me to be less selfish than I was the day before. And he meets me in that place and helps me. That's removing the power that sin has in my life. We call that sanctification, if you want to know the fancy church word for it, sanctification. But there's something that we look forward to with his return, and that is Jesus coming again to remove even the presence of sin. And we call that glorification. So here's my idea, that, I, and this is where we're going to end, that I want to leave you with, is that God, I want you to hear this, I want you to hear me say this today, that God is going to complete the work that he started. He doesn't give up. He's going to complete the work that he began. He's going to complete it in this world, and he's going to complete it in my heart and in your heart too. And that's what the fall of Babylon is a metaphor for, is the completion of this work in the world and in each of us. We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find a home. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.